Welcome to Talking Materials Handling. In each episode, you'll hear from the thought leaders who are shaping what happens inside the four walls of the distribution center. We'll cover the gamut from automation and robots, the software, and the next-gen technologies that are enabling the workforce of tomorrow. This podcast is hosted by Bob Troublecock, the executive editor of Modern Materials Handling. Remember that Bob welcomes your comments. Now, to today's episode. Well, hello, and welcome to today's episode of Talking Materials Handling, how data, software, and hardware enable the future of supply chain warehouse operations. I'm Bob Troublecock, and joining me today is Rasul Mutalib. Rasul is the Director of Global Strategy and Products for Dematic. Rasul, welcome, and I realize I just blew your last name even though we talked about it. So if you want to correct me, go ahead. No, no, I, I think you were within the ballpark. Okay. <laughs> well, if I'm in the ball, if I'm in the ballpark, I'm okay. As I, you're, you're in the ballpark. You weren't. You maybe you weren't dead center on the red dot in the middle, but you were like the dot that's right outside <laughs> of the one in the middle. So well, I remember the lit. You know, when you've grown up with trouble, you answered anything. So that's know, right. That's right. So, so hopefully, you gave me a little bit of grace there. Um, this is one in a series of podcasts I'm recording to highlight content. Uh, from NextGen 2023, where Rasul was one of our presenters on this topic. More importantly, every company I talk to these days is in the midst of a digital transformation in their supply chain. And I think it's safe to say that the starting point is different from one company to the next. But the transformation I don't hear enough about is a transformation of warehouse operations. And that's what Rasul and I are going to talk about today. So let's get started. To kick this off, tell us briefly about your role and how your area is enabling new technologies and solutions at Thematic. Yeah, first of all, thanks, Bob, for having me. It's certainly an honor to, to be here and, and following up on um, really an enjoyable time in our conference uh, in Chicago uh, late last year. It feels like so long ago, but it really wasn't that, that long ago. So a uh, little bit about me and my role. I'm a 20-year technologist, um, served several executive roles uh, over the past 10 years, all centered around data and operations. So my role at Dematic as Director of Global Data Strategy and Product is uh, really focused on building out, you know, our overall data strategy. And essentially what that means is it's, it's so many things and we'll talk about what that means today is, you know, you can imagine a, a global company like Dematic, um, we have so many data assets all over the world. Sometimes those data assets are dormant. So it's all around pulling together all of our data um, and then executing against that strategy with a single data product vision. Um, and, and that's really what my role is about in, in driving kind of thematic strategic focus, which is very much focused on uh, data, software, and artificial intelligence, especially nowadays going into uh, this new era of what, what we're experiencing now. So I, I think most of my listeners, like the attendees at last year's event, are familiar with the pressures in today's supply chain. Heck, they're living them. So let's talk a little about what's changing for them, at least in the areas where Dematic plays. One of the points I found interesting that you made at the conference was that a centralized software strategy, it was a control tower approach, can drive automation. You know, historically, I thought of control towers as related to logistics and transportation. You know, when I wanted to know where everything was in the water and or on the roads and so on. 
you know, and historically, the warehouse was a lot of islands of automation. So walk us through what you mean by this different approach. Yeah, absolutely, Bob. And, and that that this topic is, is really a, a critical one. And, and it is it is true that it used to be just this kind of island of operators. And there was some integration between them and and you'll find some automation, um, but it would likely have remained that way um, across all markets. But what really we're seeing right now is a major shift in expectations. And that shift is being driven in large part by the end consumer. Um, and when you, when you think about just the consumer today, and I said end consumer, but it could also be a business. What do we think of in terms of demands and expectations? We think of hyper-personalized, fast, adaptable, consumer-friendly, cost-effective, and then recently on top of everything, um, being sustainably conscious. So when you factor all of these new requirements into the broader equation of the supply chain, which in past times, all it really had to do was work. You know, it just had to function and work and that was considered success. But the only way to be responsive to all of these new demands and new expectations is to centralize operations with a control tower. Um, so what is a control tower? It's essentially a, a centralized set of software that connects almost every uh, segment of a distribution center or multiple distribution centers. And it creates this network that is more customer centric, sustainable, responsive, and agile. Um, and it, it, it brings together not just the, the technology, and this is very important, but it brings together the people in the process. And this is one of the things that a lot of people miss. Um, what's more is, you know, the, the traditional models that were in place before this, they simply just can't keep up. And that's what a lot of our customers are feeling. And that's what some of the folks that you had at the conference were expressing. You know, the, these new expectations um, are, are driving a set of demands that it's almost impossible to keep up with. And so using things like artificial intelligence, using things like machine learning, and then proactively integrating them allows our clients at a small scale and a massive scale to be responsive and meet all of these new expectations um, that our customers have across really the entire planet. I mean, everybody has raised their level of expectations. In other cases where it's not just automation and it's not just software, um, where there is a human operator that is still very much needed. A lot of people say AI is replacing. It's, it's not really replacing, it's adding on. But using software allows operations to be much more prescriptive and surgical about where they deploy their human resources, in which part of the warehouse, at what time. And being able to make these adjustments in real time is just something that is no longer a nice to have its table stakes. And the only way to do that is through some type of centralized control tower uh, platform like the ones we're building now and deploying across our clients. And so that's why it's really so important, Bob. It's the shifts in expectations, the need to keep up and, and deliver things in a way that our clients uh, are expecting um, is, is only possible through software and some type of integrated solution, which is a control tower. Um, before we talk about data, I, I, I want to explore this control tower a little bit more because I'm really fascinated by it. So, you know, I, I've been around this space for way too long. And when I first started writing about warehouses in the late 90s, you know, automation was really just kind of coming in. 
and automation then was maybe a conveyor and sortation system. Um, and WMS systems were still sort of nascent at that time. So then fast forward for many years, what we had was a WMS and a WCS uh, that, you know, if you had conveyor and sorter or maybe an ASRS or a mini load or something like that. A few years ago, uh, getting back to about, I think, 2011, when I first started writing about it, we saw um, WES, warehouse execution systems. Um, so we had, you know, the WES, the WCS, the WMS. Now we've got, you know, robotic control systems and other things out there. When you talk about a control tower, you know, giving all that as context, you're talking about another layer that's going to sit on top of that and then be, you know, I guess have access to data in terms of all those other systems, perhaps in that facility or across facilities. Is that is that the idea? Yes. Yeah, that, that's the fundamental premise of it. And, and a couple of things that are important about Control Tower, because as you mentioned, when you start to layer on all those different systems from WMS to WS to, you know, the next W.S system right. that is yet to come, it's really about a maturity of operations. Each one of those brought a different layer of maturity in terms of how people can run their distribution centers or multi-distribution center networks. The control tower is just the next evolution of that. And, and it does sit on top, but it kind of also goes between in that it provides end-to-end -end visibility. You know, that even goes outside of the actual warehouse itself. And that's part of where the value comes in is a lot of those systems were primarily focused on what we say inside the four walls right? and getting really, really good at executing inside of the four walls. Well, what we've learned and been reminded of over the past, what, you know, 12, 24 months, whatever it is, is that those are not the only things you need to be concerned about. You have a lot of moving pieces outside of the four walls that have direct impact into your operation. And so having upstream visibility of those things provides a distinct advantage in terms of your ability to execute, your ability to, to reduce costs and, and reduce impacts to your supply chain. So the control tower complements all of those W star S systems, but it also gives you this far reaching outside the four wall visibility so you can see the things coming down the road before they actually hit your shop um, and, and have an impact. And that's one of the real separators in terms of value that Control Tower brings to the table. So, Rasul, is it, you know, if I, if I think of a warehouse, you know, ultimately as an order fulfillment engine, even though it's going to be receiving stuff, you know, and, and on the shipping side, will it have the decision making capabilities, meaning... You know, I get a I get a bunch of orders from the order management system. Historically, they might have gone into the WMS that that would then parcel it out to the WCS or the you know the WES. But now, will that order fulfillment begin in this control tower because it knows you know what's going on with orders? It knows maybe a truck is going to be late coming in, so it doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense to you know fill that order. Those kind of things. Yeah, that you're you're precisely right, Bob. Um, okay, great. And those types of advantages, although small, if you add them up over the course of an entire day in a 24-7 operation, an entire week, or, you know, somebody that's receiving thousands of packages a day and they're able to make these micro adjustments, 
that adds up pretty quickly in terms of time saved, you know, your ability to actually shelve things in the order they need to be so that you can retrieve them in the order they need to be. Um, there's so many downstream kind of optimized results just by having that one use case that you just mentioned and being able to, to, to you know, switch the, 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 the order or the, the mechanism in which you're, you're taking these packages in um, can have transformational impacts on your output for that day, that month, that quarter, and et cetera, and uh, ultimately save, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars just by having that one capability. Uh, that it's a that that's a really fascinating um, evolution, I think, because again, I've I've covered that part of the space, the WMS space, you know, going back to the late '90s, and have seen this evolution. And I know we've been headed towards that type of decision making. Let's talk about data for a moment, because data strategy is in your title, so hopefully, this is near and dear to your heart. Um, I recorded an episode last week with the head of product innovation at Maersk, and um, Data is obviously a big component of her innovation strategy. And as she told us later, it's also the most challenging because sometimes you can't just get the data. And she was saying it's not just from external partners, meaning like suppliers just don't have it or can't share it. But she said, you know, internally, even at her own organization, she may need something from some other division in the organization. It's important to her. It's not a priority to them. And so even though, you know, you've got this data strategy, you may not be able to get the data. So how does, given data strategies in your title, how does a company prioritize data as a strategic product? You know, why is it important? What are the barriers to overcome? Yeah, this is, um, you know, number one, data is near and dear to my heart. And, and you know, been, having done it for so long, I could not agree more with the challenge. And this is a challenge that, really at any company, any industry, you will run into that. Um, it's all a part of the kind of the data transformation and, and understanding data needs to come first um, in, in, in so many ways. And it's a cultural shift. So, you know, at Dematic, we've taken the data as a product approach. You know, we know that data is the glue, data is the oil. Um, in fact, data maturity is in my mind, and when I tell people, it's really the alpha variable now to success in the modern age, no matter the industry or what area that we're discussing. If you just think about some of the advancements just over the past 12 months, let alone uh, past few years, the, the general feeling that you get from everyone is the market is evolving and changing at a pace that we have never seen before. Um, we, we are right now on this, as we're having this conversation, we're at a point where the, the evolution of the technology, when you think about AI and ML, it's actually outpacing our ability in business to really dissect it, understand it, and implement it into our business processes in a way that we would like, which is exciting. It's very exciting, but you know all of those other areas that you outlined um, earlier is you can't do it without data. So you know we spent arguably the past 10 years in what I would call, in what most people call is the digital transformation, digitizing your business. We are now firmly in the data transformation and subsequently in what happened probably faster than many of us uh, uh, thought would happen is we're now in the AI transformation. And so the challenge is if you haven't completed your digital transformation, 
which is what was referred to in terms of making your data available, well, it's very difficult to go into your data transformation because you don't have the data, which makes it almost impossible to do your AI transformation because all of those things are dependent upon one another. So, you know, yes, all of those roadblocks and hurdles, um, so many enterprises are, 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 are trying to solve and tackle and are certainly being faced with. It really comes down to, you know, a lot of business slash tech debt, because it's not just about technology, it's also about process. So one strategy that I've, strategy that I've always used and, and that we're currently using at Domatic um, to solve this kind of big problem that we've just outlined is to take a, a use case driven approach that allows you to identify a single, a single problem, a single challenge that you're trying to solve that is prioritized across whoever your business leadership is. And then it makes the conversation around, we, we need to unlock this capability. We need to show this particular metric, but this is the data that we need to prioritize in order to do it. And so having that sign off from the top that this use case is something that is important to the business, it makes it much easier to prioritize accessing data that's required uh, to actually support that particular use case. And then once you have one or two of those in your belt, you just wash, rinse and repeat that model. And essentially you are covering all of those areas, almost all three in one. You're, you're, you're dealing with your digital transformation because you're, you're making access to the data you need a priority in your business. You're covering your data transformation because you're piping that data through some type of centralized uh, a solution like a control tower. But then you're also dealing with your AI transformation because that might be the capability that you're trying to unlock at the time. So, so using use cases for me has been an excellent tool that I've used many, many times uh, to, to break down kind of the walls in terms of process and, and you know, organizational barriers like you referred to. And it's, it's the best way that you can actually make uh, what I would call return on investment projects uh, where you get the backing and et cetera to continue doing so. Otherwise, you will live in that world of just trying to get the data to actually support whatever your vision is that uh, might be important to the business but not able to be realized because you can't get these two teams to work together. So use case driven approaches have, have usually solved that problem for me in the past. Uh, you may have just touched on this next question, but if I think back to the Maersk example, you know, she was talking about external and internal partners, which implies that wherever you sit in the organization, you know, whatever your role is, you can't go it alone. So if you can't go it alone, how do you leverage your partners, you know, in this journey, whether they are internal or external or both? Yeah, that, that, this is one of my, and I think we touched on this, Bob, at the, uh, at the conference as well is no, you you can't go it alone. Um, not just speaking as a representative of, of of Domatic, but you know certainly in supply chain automation, this is one of the areas where Domatic really shines. For most businesses today, it is extremely difficult to have all of the talent in house that you need in order to optimize your distribution center or network of distribution centers the way that you would otherwise have if you had a partner um, like Domatic. 
not only is it the exceptional talent that's very, very hard to find, but the skill sets that are required to make these optimizations, most businesses do not need these skill sets on a 40-hour-per-week basis year after year. It's normally a one-time kind of specialized uh, uh, project or initiative to bring something back on track. So when you when you have access to kind of this a specialized partner, if you will, like Dematic, that will be the back end of your operation, we're pulling talent from all over the world, right, to, to create new solutions, to improve the solutions that might already be in place. And our talent pulls from a much broader solution base than any one company could, could ever hope uh, to, to provide. So a company, you know, will staff and run their operation as easy, as, as, as good as they can. And most of our clients do a fine job. Um, but they also have their day job of being profitable, of, you know, delivering whatever it is you're trying to deliver to their specific niche. You know, we are constantly researching across our global network of resources, ways to improve. We partner with universities all over the world to do use cases. I mean, and, and we eat our own dog food as well in terms of we partner with Google. So we recognized at Dematic that in order to be the best in cloud, in order to be the best in AI and these new things that we're doing, why not partner with somebody that is also a global leader so we can take advantage of their research and their capabilities? So can you go it alone? Can you do it by yourself? Sure, you, you can. But what is the likelihood that you can replicate this massive body of knowledge that is continually evolving, by the way, um, that Dematic can bring on demand versus what you might be able to do, you know, individually, you know, by yourself. Kind of, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the call, just the pace of technology and the changes, it's to me, in my opinion, um, we're no longer at a place where, you know, you, you can have a partner or not have a partner. It's the things are moving so quickly to stay just up to date, certainly exceed your competitors, you need to have a partner you know, to, to help you with some of these changes, how to interpret them, how to implement them into your distribution center um, in order to outpace and out-execute competitors and just stay relevant in the space. So that's something I highly recommend, Bob, as you know, and I think given all the changes and et cetera, it's becoming even more important today to have a partner than it was, say, even 10 years ago. Uh, Rasul, another key point you made that I was kind of interested in um, at the uh, at NextGen was that you can accelerate transformation the transformation cloud. So, what's a transformation cloud? Number one, and then second part of that: why is cloud such a pivotal piece of the strategy? Yeah, I mean, transformation cloud is 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 I think a a a good way of saying leveraging cloud technology to bring your business current and then take it forward. Um, operating out of traditional data warehouses and data centers um, that we used to and used to have done for, for quite some time, it, it's, again, it's, it's outdated in a way that it does not allow you to scale and it does not allow you to keep up with all of the different changes that are happening you know, in real time so many different areas that we could touch on. I mean, I mentioned scalability. Um, that is an obvious one 
in the cloud, you can scale to oblivion in terms of a software solution that you might need to deliver. When you think about running, you know, large models um, in terms of AI ML, they're very massive sometimes in terms of their compute and what they need. So for a customer to uh, uh, try to house that, you know, computational power locally, it's just not cost effective. You know, cloud is a pay as you go model. Um, you only pay for what you use. There's massive reductions in terms of IT overhead. Um, one of the keys and in, in, in pain points that so many uh, platform providers have struggled with over the years is availability and uptime, you know, bugs and et cetera, taking down your platform um, or fiber cuts out in the middle of Wyoming, somewhere that you have nothing to do with taking your platform offline and having to scramble all the people at two o'clock in the morning to try to figure out a way to get it back on. All of that goes away. You've got highly available, highly reliable systems. You can very quickly deploy changes and upgrades uh, of your software. You have all of the advanced security features already embedded into the, the cloud that you're using. And then in our case, like with partnering with Google, we have the advantage of an infrastructure that is already tuned to allow us to implement our AI models and algorithms um, into our equations so that you know, we don't have to go back into all of that work. So it just allows us to move at a pace that I think is just much more rapid and responsive than you know, many of our competitors in the space who have not done this. So a transformational cloud is, it allows you to do all of those things and it allows you to be very effective and it, it takes some time off of your roadmap because you don't have to worry about checking all those boxes before you make the next step. All of those things are done for you. So something I would recommend, again, just like the last thing is, it's really no longer a nice to have. These are some of the things and key components, especially from a data strategy perspective, that you must have in place in order to be effective uh, in today's time. Last question. So in a sense, you're talking about the warehouse of the future. From where, and you know, Domatic's in the warehouse automation business. From where you sit, what do you think the warehouse of the future is going to look like in comparison to where we're at today? Is it going to be a matter of the hardware solutions or is it going to be things like, you know, software and AI and the cloud that we may not see, but that are impacting the way we, you know, conduct our operations? Yeah, this is a really good question, Bob. And, and you know, I think in, in certain areas and in conventions, this might uh, uh, create very heated debate and, and certainly spirited uh, discussion. But, you know, when you think about hardware, you know, there are two primary components of supply chain. It's, it's the hardware that's bolted to the ground and the conveyance sort systems and all those things that you mentioned. But then there's a layer on top that is the software. The hardware for the most part is not going to change very much. You'll have certain robots and things like that that come into the mix that might automate certain areas, but really the net gains in terms of efficiency and cost effectiveness and resiliency and speed, they're all going to come through software. So when you, when you go back to those consumer and business demands that we talked about earlier, uh, the technology is going to have to be lockstep with that. So at Dematic, that is our focus. It's, we are dead set focused on delivering solutions that match the expectations of our clients and of the marketplace and that exceed the things that they might think that they need. 
Um, and that goes back to just our, 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 our skill sets and our knowledge base and our global view of things is a lot of times we bring solutions that our customers didn't know they needed yet. But by the time they see it, it's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. I absolutely need that, but I did not think of it. You know, one of the key areas as an example is, you know, autonomous or semi-autonomous multi-channel fulfillment. And this is, you know, where a shop can take in orders, no matter if it was e-commerce, their traditional order flow, um, you know, other areas that, you know, there's so many different order channels that have opened up as a result of social media and, and, and kind of the e-commerce world that we live in now. Having an intelligent supply chain that's fully integrated to support all of this is, again, you, you keep hearing me come back to this. It's table stakes now. It's not something that consumers and business partners are asking if you have it or not. The expectation is that you've already figured all this out and I can order goods in whatever channel that I want for your shop. The, the, the fact is there's so many of our, our, our clients and so many businesses out there that have not yet refitted themselves to be able to do this. So this is likely going to be a focus of ours for the foreseeable future. It's, it's really upgrading and adding these new capabilities into a client's existing distribution center model. So it allows them to meet the expectations of the clients um, that, that we know, and as we've mentioned multiple times, are rapidly changing lockstep with the technology that is available. So our focus going forward will continue to be data. It'll continue to be software and, and, and providing that to our customers to allow them to you know, meet the expectations and exceed the expectations of the market. Well, thank you, Rasul. That's all the time we have today. A special thanks to my guest, Rasul Mutalib uh, from Domatic, and thank you for joining. And Rasul, I apologize because I keep butchering your last name. Um, I hope you'll be back for our next episode. And finally, be sure to go to nextgensupplychainconference.com and enter your email address for updates about NextGen 2024. We're planning another great event for talking materials handling and the NextGen Conference. I'm Bob Trowellcock and Rasul, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Talking Materials Handling is produced by Modern Materials Handling and Peerless Media. You can find Talking Materials Handling on MMH.com, on iTunes under SC247, or just Google SC247 Podcasts. We're on all the popular podcast platforms. For more information, be sure to visit MMH.com, and we hope you'll join us again for our next episode.